Greetings all, and welcome back to the Everyday Hope Podcast. I am so pleased to be back in action and with you in this episode. I hope you all got a chance to listen to the announcement episode. We've got some new things coming and the clock is ticking. April 16th, mark your calendars. We will relaunch with a new format and a new topic of discussion. I'm going to invite my very good friend, Pastor Corey Peters, to join me as we discuss the TV show, The Chosen. I think this is going to be a great opportunity to talk about a number of things, not just the episodes, what we liked, what we didn't like. We're going to talk about what was taken straight from Scripture and what was added for the show. But more importantly, I think it'll give us an opportunity to talk about episodes of the Gospels, the things that Jesus did and what they mean for us. And we're really looking forward to doing that. Again, we're going to launch that in a few weeks on April the 16th. Today, I want to wish you all a happy Palm Sunday. And I want to talk a little bit about Palm Sunday and what it commemorates, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. So if you're not familiar with it, Palm Sunday has historically been celebrated the Sunday before Easter. It's actually the last Sunday of Lent. There's some evidence going back to as early as the 4th century uh, regarding Palm Sunday and the church's observance of this great event, Jesus' triumphal entry. One of the things that I think is significant is this story is one of the few that appears in all four Gospels. Now, maybe we need to do just a quick background on the Gospels so that you understand what a big deal that is. Now, there are four Gospels. Duh, I think everybody knows that. Three of them, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are generally referred to as the synoptic Gospels. Now, you don't need to memorize all this. The word synoptic means affording a general view or taking a common view. And they're called that because those three Gospels approach the Gospel story in a similar way. Now, it doesn't mean they're all identical. It just means they kind of tell the story in a similar way. The chronology is not always the same. The material isn't identical. But they all have this in common. And now, most people believe that Mark was written first, probably by John Mark, and probably as he sat with Peter and is telling Peter's story. A 90-something large percent, maybe 97% of what is in Mark is also included in Matthew and Luke. So it's pretty clear Matthew and Luke had a copy of Mark as they started to tell their stories about Jesus. Matthew and Luke also have a lot of material in common with each other that does not appear in Mark. And while they're a bit longer and they tell a few different stories, they tell them in the same way. And so when we refer to the synoptic gospels, if you ever hear that term, really it's talking about Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And the purpose of that is not really to group Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but to point out how different John is. The gospel of John is different and everybody believes John was written later. I kind of picture John going, well, those three guys have this covered. I'm going to do my own thing. And so the Gospel of John really has a different sort of feel and sense to it. It's telling the same stories about the same Jesus, a lot of common material, but it is told in a really different way. And so when you think about that, when you think about the differences of these and these four unique men who were chosen by the Holy Spirit to write these documents, it is, I guess, surprising to find any stories that they all have in common. There was so much that happened and they were all inspired to write in their own way, using their own personalities. Even when Mark and or Matthew and Luke rather tell the same story, you can see that they both have a different point of view. They're coming at it from a different way. And so when we say that the story of the triumphal entry is one of the few that appears in all four Gospels, that means something. This story was important enough to all four of them to include it. And so we're going to read this, uh, but we're going to read the version from Matthew just because that's the one I like. But just so you can keep track, this story appears in Matthew 21, in Luke 19, in Mark 11, and in John chapter 12. 
And so we'll talk a little bit about those as we go. But let's start by reading the account that's in Matthew's Gospel. This is Matthew 21, 1 through 11. When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, The Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet. Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now that's a prophecy from Zechariah 9. Verse 6, Then the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, that saying that they were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord is a line taken out of Psalm 118. It's 118.26. And again, the prophecy from Zechariah 9.9 is included by both Matthew and John. Okay, so let's talk about the story, right? When Jesus nears Bethpage, he sends two disciples ahead to get the donkey's colt, right? Now, Matthew adds the detail that the donkey is there too. John doesn't seem to care about any of those details. He admits everything to do about how they acquired the donkey's colt. It's just not important to him. So Jesus tells them what to say to the owner, and of course it works as planned. And then comes the prophecy from Zechariah, as I said, both Matthew and John included. And that's really kind of important. I mean, Jesus doesn't have to do this. He can walk right into Jerusalem, but he rides the colt and fulfills the prophecy in Zechariah 9. I think this is really, really important because Jesus was trying to send a message. Now, we live on this side of the cross and the empty tomb, right? We understand Jesus as our Messiah, resurrected Messiah. But the people in Jesus' day, the Jews, had been waiting for their Messiah for a very, very long time. And they had a difficult time accepting that Messiah had actually come. He wasn't exactly what they were expecting. Over the generations, they had built up the idea of Messiah to be a conquering hero. And now, a people who are suffering oppression expect that conquering hero to conquer their oppressors. They're expecting a warrior to come to lead them into a new freedom from Rome. And Jesus is not about that. He doesn't look like that. He doesn't act like that. He doesn't talk like that. So they had a difficult time understanding him as Messiah. You know, one of the things that marks the gospel of Mark out from the others is the idea of the hidden gospel. I think more than the others, Mark emphasizes, you know, Jesus telling people, don't tell anyone what I've just done, right? And I think there's a there's an idea here that that Jesus is expressing. You can't properly understand Messiah apart from Messiah crucified. The enemies that he came to defeat, sin and death, he was going to defeat with his own death on the cross. And that was difficult for them to understand. And so here Jesus fulfills this prophecy. He comes riding in as if to say to his people, I'm telling you who I am. Look at this event. This is who I am. And I have come to set you really free, not just free from Rome, free from things that are much bigger and badder and more dangerous than Rome, right? And so fulfilling that prophecy is kind of a big deal. So all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, 
uh, talk about people laying down their cloaks and shouting Hosanna and the whole city buzzing about it. But it's not that surprising. It's interesting, but not surprising that John's focus, if you look at John's uh, uh, telling of this story, is on how the Pharisees and religious leaders respond. John twelve nineteen says, the Pharisees then said to one another, you see, you can do nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. And so it's, it's, you know, John is really emphasizing on the fact that the religious leaders, unable to accept Jesus as Messiah, know that they have to do something to stop him from corrupting the people, right? So yeah, this, it's clear that this is an event that Jesus did intentionally in order to signal to the people who he was. And we get to see that too. We get to look back at that event and see Jesus declaring to everyone, I am the one who was prophesied to come. So a lot's made about the triumphal entry. There are a lot of ways to look at this, uh, but I want to talk about something that's been on my mind for the last couple of months or so. I want to talk about the crowds. So as we read the story in all four gospel accounts, there are crowds of people that go before him, right? Crowds of people that, that are following along, crowds of people that are in the city and all the crowds get energized about his coming in. Matthew calls them very large crowds. Luke calls them a multitude, right? They're there are big crowds of people. And we know the crowds often gathered around Jesus for a lot of reasons. There were people that, that were really faithful people who believed that he was Messiah. But we also know that there are people who gathered around him because they just wanted to see something fancy happen, right? They wanted to see a spectacle. John six twenty five to 26, the disciples find him on the other side of the sea and they say to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves, right? So he's talking about the miracle. You, you saw the miracle. You saw the spectacle. That's why you came. You want to see another one. And John twelve eighteen says, It was also because they heard that he had performed this sign that the crowd went to meet him. There are people that just go to see this spectacle. There are people that want to be a part of the big event. Right. And so I imagine on that day, as he's riding into the city, there are a lot of people in the crowds who are there because they've heard about Jesus and they're wondering, could this be Messiah? But I know there are a lot of people out there who just want to see it, who just want to be a part of the spectacle, just want to see if maybe he'll do something, if maybe he'll perform a magic trick. Right. People want to see the spectacle. You ever been on the freeway and you're driving down the freeway and all of a sudden the traffic slows down and it comes to a crawl and 10 minutes go by and 15 minutes go by and however many minutes go by. And eventually you pass a couple of cars and a minor fender bender that are way off to the side of the road, not blocking traffic at all. And you realize that the only reason traffic slowed down was because a bunch of people wanted to sit there and look at the two cars on the side of the road. I, they just wanted to see it. Is there a dead body? Is there a limb maybe on the road? I just want to see if I can see something instead of just driving home. And this is what we know about people, right? Sometimes people want to see the train wreck. They want to see the spectacle. They want to see the magic trick. And so it's clear that some of who were in the crowds that day were there just to see the miracle, just to see the spectacle. There's another crowd I've been thinking about. Listen to Matthew 27, 20 to 23. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus killed. The governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what should I do with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? And all of them said, let him be crucified. Then he asked, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. The second crowd was full of people who were fired up, who were excited. 
And it says that the religious leaders got them excited, but they were able to. So you have these two crowds. You have a crowd who's welcoming Jesus into the city, and you have a crowd that's calling for his crucifixion. What do you think the odds are that some of the same people were in both crowds? This has been nagging at me the last few weeks. I realized that there's no chance that some of that crowd wasn't the same. That some of these people were in both crowds, that they were shouting Hosanna, and then later were shouting crucify him. And maybe it's speculation on my part, but I think a lot of scholars might agree with that, that the city can get stirred up, that a mob can get stirred up, that people who just want to see the train wreck can get stirred up. And so while there were faithful people in the first crowd who were celebrating Jesus' entry, and there were faithful people in the second crowd who were mourning what was about to happen, there were people who were cheering on both ends of that. It's likely that a lot of people were in both crowds. And so this Easter season, this is what I've been thinking about. I'm, I'm thinking about how often we join up because the thing is new and shiny. And then we kind of move on to the next new and shiny thing, right? I, I'm not even sure if hot yoga is still an in thing, right? But pretty soon we'll get bored with hot yoga and we'll move on to something else. You know, maybe icy jumping jacks. I don't know what it'll be, but that's how we are. But this is not the way of Jesus, Jesus isn't a fad and he's not a spectacle, right? The son of God had finally come and was about to wage all out war on sin and death. And so many people just missed it. And so I've been thinking about the crowds and about what crowd do I want to be in? And that's, I guess, the question that I want to ask all of you. What, what crowd do you want to be in? Do you want to skip both events? You just want to skip it? Just want to not be a part of it? Don't like crowds. Don't like events. Don't like spectacles. Don't like to get involved. Don't like to join in. So I'm going to skip both crowds. And maybe you're the kind of person that wants to be in both crowds because you want to join in and you want to be a part of the spectacle. And it was fun and a big deal to have him come into the city. And it was a fun and a big deal to watch him get crucified. I know that, that sounds kind of weird, but you know what I mean. Or do you want to be in the crowd that welcomed Jesus into the city, that understood they were seeing something historical, that understood that Messiah had come that shouted, Hosanna, son of God. Or do you want to be in the crowd that says, give us Barabbas? And at some point, we've got to choose which crowd we're going to be in. At some point, we got to decide what it is we believe. Now, you guys have probably heard me say this a bunch of times before, but being a follower of Jesus, being a Christian, isn't about religion, right? There was plenty of religion around when Jesus got here. In fact, that was part of the problem. There's there's way too much religion back then. And Jesus came to reconnect people to God in spite of all that religion. Being a follower of Jesus is about faith. It's about the faith that allows us to follow him, to trust in him, even when things are happening that we don't understand, right? It's not about religion. It's about faith. And religion is really of value when a bunch of people get together to work out their faith together. And so I'm sure a lot of religious folks could have showed up in both crowds. A lot of religious folks could have been there for the spectacle of the triumphal entry and could have been there for the spectacle of his trial. But faithful people, faithful people who shout Hosanna from their hearts, right? That's a follower of Jesus. Those are the people who might have been on the outskirts of that second crowd weeping. So, It's 
Palm Sunday, right? We're celebrating the coming of Jesus as we anticipate this tragic and glorious event to come. In the next episode, we'll be talking about Easter and all that that means for us and all that Jesus accomplished for us. And really, we start today to pay attention in earnest to what's coming. This entire week, I want to encourage you to celebrate Holy Week in your hearts in a very special way. I, I, I just want to encourage you to be a part of that first crowd that celebrates the, the coming of Messiah and anticipates all week long of what is coming, what Jesus is going to do, and what it's going to mean for us. And as we move through this week, don't mess it. Don't let it slip away. Don't let work get you busy. Don't let all the hubbub of life distract you from seeing the miracles that we're remembering and celebrating and incorporating as a possession, right? This is a gift he's given us and we own it. So this Palm Sunday, remember, let's pray. And as always, remember, if you're driving, keep your eyes on the road, keep your eyes on the baby, and just pray with me in your hearts. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe. We praise you, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has done such amazing work to rescue us, to save us. We celebrate you. We cry together, Hosanna. Lord, I ask that this week you will be specially present in the lives of all of us and reminding us of what it is we celebrate and commemorate all week long. Thank you for what you did. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, thank you for joining me today. Happy Palm Sunday to everybody. I look forward to talking again next week when we celebrate Easter. God bless.